screwed loose ju- 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 All right. Welcome. Welcome, Lubo. Welcome, James. The first ever edition of the Screw Lose Juice podcast. Yeah, episode one. Numero uno. AKA the Jamesy in the house. All right. So, um, so wait, wait, wait. Let's tell people the first, first edition here, you're going to interview me. Exactly, yeah. And then maybe on the next one, I'll interview you. Yeah, if you're still friends, then you can interview me. Okay, so depending on how this goes, we'll see if we get to number two. If not, this is a single episode series. <laughs> or may- maybe you will get to number two, but not with myself or, you know, I don't know. Oh, okay, great. Good to know that we have that going in. Yeah, like, um, let's put the fucking cards on the table here, James. Okay, and maybe for anybody who's <laughs> never heard us before, we're from the band uh, Rare Americans. But I imagine if... You've somehow made it to the depths of Spotify to hear this podcast. You have probably at least heard one of our songs before. At least one. The the Wake Up one, right? Yeah, the, the yeah. least streamed song we have. <laughs> Thank you to all the Wake Up fans out there. I actually like that song. Yeah, me too. Anyway, let's get uh, let's get into that. Okay. Okay, well, so uh, since there is a bunch of interviews with you on the internet available for everybody interested, I had to do a little bit of research. Nice. So that we are I'm not... excited. Do- yeah. I learned something. I didn't know that you're six feet tall. I thought that you're like six two or something. Oh no no no! I'm not that tall. Right. Six feet. Well, I'm six not feet. short, but I'm not. Yeah, you. Yeah, you're a decent height. Anyway, so I'll I'll start with what I already know, so that people know who I'm who I'm, I'm talking to. Okay. And then you can correct me if there's anything wrong. Okay. Okay. Sure. So uh, James Priestner, a handsome Canadian-born white male with a semi-curly blonde hair and blue eyes. That is a description if anyone, like if you have never seen a picture of James Priestner. Nice. Okay, according to the Elite Prospect Hockey website, you were born on February 9th, 91, Edmonton. False. False. I think it's London. London, Ontario. Right. Yeah, I was born there. Didn't live there for long, but that's where I was born. That's what I thought. So, uh, yeah, okay, cool. And then six feet tall, did you, you clarify that? And then the father, Mike Priestner. And well, web- let's not get the whole family involved. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, like I would love to know who's, uh, I don't know, a, a okay, J- sure. James Hetfield. Okay, sure. Or whatever. Sure, let's go with it. And then also the website goes on and says that you are retired. I mean, it also says that James Priestner has no endorsements yet. So how is the retirement working for you without endorsements? Oh, thriving. <laughs> really thriving. The the streaming revenue from yeah. the song Wake Up is really uh it's it's fun in the operation and uh yeah, retirement is is nice in uh sunny paradise and uh yeah, yeah. My short lived uh career. Okay. So well you you played for Kamloops, Brandon, and that's like your hockey years, right? In WHL. Yep, and Prince George. And Prince George. Yeah. And so what are the like the, the best and the worst memory from the time? Um, best and worst memories. Um, I have to say one of the best memories I had from playing in the Western Hockey League um, was the billet that I had in Brandon. Uh, her name was Gail. Okay. And if, for those of you who don't know, a billet is like the kind of the host family that you stay with because the Western Hockey League, you're age 16 to 20 and okay. you're not allowed to live on your own. Right. Um, so they kind of take you in and be kind of come your, you know, your, your kind of parents in a way. And uh, me and Gail just like really connected. Her uh, her husband worked for CN Rail, okay. uh, so he was gone a lot. He was mm. he was often gone for work. Um, so the two of us just had like so many nights of like 
we would just play crib and we would talk. She taught me how to play crib. I didn't know mm. how to play. Um, always make sure I had like great, great meals before games. And um, she was cool too. I was only 17 and like, you know, she'd crack a bottle of wine and we were drinking wine <laughs> and play crib and just talk about things. And um, so, yeah, I, I, that's, that's one of my, literally my best memories is uh, just uh, having like such a rad uh, billet there. Um, not to say I didn't have some, you know, some good memories of uh, some, you know, some really awesome games and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, no, I would say that was like, uh, this is off the cuff. So that's something that jumps out at me. And um, worst memories, I think probably like some of the, some of the coaching things. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. when I played in the league, it was really, it was really like the old school mentality um, so a lot of the coaches were still kind of that, you know, the old guard, um, and they would just berate you mm. or they would just scream at you or, yeah. uh, you know, like just as vile as you just shouldn't talk to people like that. Yeah. I'm just calling people horrible names and, um, yeah. So that happened to me at least a, a couple different times. Um, and I remember those being like really dark days, especially when you're like, a 16 year old kid or a 17 year old kid, you're still figuring yourself out. You're away from your family and your parents. Yeah. Uh, maybe, you know, there was times where I wasn't playing well for a stretch and I was probably low in confidence. Uh, and then for like a, a coach to really just like totally cut you down even further is like, I just remember being some dark days and, um, how did you cope with that? Like what was your go-to method to kind of like does that like behind you and just like cut, keep moving or just like um because I, I, I assume like quitting in the middle of the like season is just i, I mean you can't Actually, do that but yeah no well two things one um i mean maybe it sounds i don't even i don't want it to sound cliche but uh like music yeah and, and writing a lot like uh, I, i remember oftentimes after a game if you lost you would be on the bus uh driving through the middle of the night to get back to the city and um there'd be no movies allowed on the bus if you lost mm. if you won you could watch movies the team could watch movies and if you lost you couldn't it was silence you weren't allowed really to talk um which just shows again kind of the yeah old dumb. school mentality but that's what it was at the time i don't know mm. if it's like that now but um so i would just you know put headphones in and uh, i remember listening to like a band that stands out to me that i really remember listening to a lot is like iron and wine i don't know if you know them <laughs> no. they're like they're like really sad acoustic music Mm, like every song is like extremely introspective slow sad very soft singing and um i I remember just like almost putting that music on and like it made me feel worse but that almost made me feel better yeah in a weird way i I don't you know sometimes if you're in like a really dark place or you just you almost want to feel worse for, for a reason you look for music to 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 make you even go further in that place so um I remember doing that a lot and um, also just like writing in a journal or I, I always kept like a mm-hmm. phone kind of diary. Right. Um, that helped me quite a bit. Um, and then I did quit though, my 18 year old year. Um, I remember um, starting the year in Prince George and really hating it. Um, mm-hmm. There was a guy on the team who had it out for me. Like really, he really didn't like me. There was a, I was dating a girl at the time who I had met that summer okay. and um, unfortunately her her dad died like right when we started oh. dating of like a freak accident 
And so she was like, she was really down. Like, and so, um, you know, we got really close over that time period and I was trying to kind of help, you know, lift her spirits again, as well as kind of take care of myself and, you know, try to get back to the season in good shape and whatnot. And, um, this guy who was on the team, he happened to be from the same town as her. And I think he might've had like a little crush on her or something. Mm -hmm. And he was just a bit of like a trouble child. Okay. Um, and so that uh, the whole start uh, of that season, he just had it out for me. Like, I remember we did like a team dodgeball at the end of a workout. And he was literally, he was a big, strong guy. And he was hawking the ball at my head, like just hunting for me. And I was like scared of the guy, like quite literally scared of him. And I told the coach, I was like, man, this guy is like every practice. He's just shooting slap shots at my head. Like, I, I just can't, I, I can't take this anymore. Like, I, I can't play with this guy. He's literally, like, like he's out to not kill me, but, like... like he I'll, was being a, a big dick. I was quite literally scared of him. Yeah. He was th- two years older than I was. He was a big, strong guy and, like, literally had it out for me. Um, and that just got worse and worse. And I remember, like, if I, I would say if I've ever been depressed in my life, it was at that point in time. This is the start of my 18-year-old year. Um... You know, this this girl I was dating is, was going through this with, the, you know, a death in her family. And mm. this guy had it out for me and I wasn't playing very well. And I quite literally remember like being at a billets and just like hanging in my room. And I was ordering pizza like every night. Yeah. And I got out of, really out of shape and I just wanted to like, uh, I don't know, it was like eat my feelings kind of thing. But um, I just quite literally remember just like ordering pizza every single night. And uh, like I, I never do that. And I was just, it was a really bad, dark place. And I knew I had to get out of it. Like, I knew I couldn't continue doing that. And I had to make a change. So, uh, but yeah, halfway through the year, it continued. Nothing changed. Uh, nothing changed with the guy either. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Coach didn't really talk to him. He was a good player. Right. Um, and so I, I, I made the decision. I remember calling my dad, telling him that I just couldn't do it anymore. And he was obviously a big you know, supporter of me and he yeah. loved hockey. He'd been my coach as a kid. So it was, it was a really big thing. And, um, and then I remember going to the coach's house and just being like, my heart's not in this anymore. Like I have to, I have to get out of here. And, so, and I did. So do you, do you think it's most like a people that surrounded you or was it the game itself as well? Or was it like a mixture or I think it was probably a mixture. Um, I didn't get drafted that previous year either. Like your 17-year-old year is when the NHL draft happens. Right. Um, and I had a really good start of the year. Like the first half of the year, I, I played mm. great. And um, I think I was ranked to be drafted. And then... The like you were also representing Canada, right? At like you 17 or something like that. If I read yeah, that was so the world. I mean, that's wor- a big one. Yeah, that was the world under 17 challenge uh, when I was 17. So I, I made that. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, yeah, I played a great first half of the year. I thought it was likely going to get drafted. Um, kind of got the opportunity at the start of the second half of the year. Um, the first game back after Christmas is always a weird game because everybody's gone for a yeah. week and you get a little out of shape. And so it can be, those are like seven, five games typically. Like there's just a lot of mistakes. And I remember the coach, um, he gave me the nod for that game as kind of like second half of the year. Maybe you can be our starting goalie kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I was like, fuck yes. Awesome. Um, and then I ended up just shitting the bed, like just played atrocious. <laughs> and I think we ended up losing seven, five or something, just one of my worst games of the year. And so he went back to the other goalie, mm. 
for the next game. Uh, and then we kind of babbled it out for the rest of the year. And um, I just, yeah, unfortunately, don't know what happened. I just didn't play my best for the second half of the year. So I didn't get drafted. Uh, and that was uh, a big disappointment for me. That's all I ever wanted my yeah. my whole life kind of thing. Uh, and then, yeah, I think from there, you know, that was just kind of the start of, I got traded in the summer. I got traded to Prince George. And, uh, then, you know, obviously when I went there and just had this whole thing happen with this guy, like it just, um, mm. it just, it just, everything went further, further, further down. I just lost my desire to be on the ice and uh, you right. can't play at that level if you just don't want to really be there every day. So, yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned your dad being like your biggest almost like supporter is that him that got you into the hockey or or was it like your your interest or like where did, why why not a soccer or something else i don't know like why why hockey uh, i think like uh being a canadian boy in a way it's just like you know when you grow up i grew up in edmonton and so it's freezing cold in the winter every mm-hmm. there's every community league has an outdoor rink so you know from a really young age Came yeah, I'm sure you were kind of the same in Slovakia. It's like there's a lot of outdoor rinks and a lot yeah. of skating on the lake. Yeah. You know, so I remember having like a family cottage growing up and would go skate on the lake from a really young age. So, uh, and my dad was a big, big hockey fan. He played hockey. He mm-hmm. was a goalie. Um, so he naturally loved it and started taking, you know, yeah. skating lessons as a young kid. And then you're like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try out for hockey or whatever. Like you do that when you're five or six. And then you know, I just stuck with it and I had a knack for it and I really liked it and it was mm-hmm. fun and I was, I was good at it. And, um, all my best friends played hockey too. So yeah, it kind of went, you kind of just, you're just in it, right? Yeah. Well, cool. Awesome. Uh, so to lighten this whole little Prince George experience that I'm really sorry to hear about. <laughs> Thanks. Um, are you aware of your LinkedIn profile? Oh boy. <laughs> um, you know what? That's like one. I'm not a massive social media guy. Uh, like I like to I like to scroll like anybody, but I don't yeah. post like a ton. And uh, I think it was LinkedIn was maybe like when we started that limited company. Yeah, I think I made like a LinkedIn profile because I felt like I was supposed to or something. Yeah. And then I don't even think I've logged into it since then. <laughs> so I think it could probably use an update. No, I mean it's a it's a great resume over there. Just like oh you 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 picture yourself as an experienced filmmaker producer. It focused on commercials and music videos. We've done that together. It was fun. Like, would you would you ever consider going back to doing something like that, or is that just like you you've been through that? You know what it's all about, and it's kind of not for you, or you, you still kind of like? No, I I, I really like it. Um, uh, the thing about uh, being a producer is it's just such a it's like throwing a wedding every single time that mm-hmm. you want to make anything. So. Yeah. Just the amount of time and details and attention to detail and the amount of things that have to go right every time you do it is you just can't screw anything up. It's also safety goes into that. You just have to have all these things in place. Um, Also for people and good quality people uh, to want to work on projects, they have to enjoy the process and feel you know, like it was a good work environment. It was structured. um, There was good food to eat and they felt safe. Um, so to make, uh, a successful production, there's just, as you know, we did those mm-hmm. together, just the amount that goes into that. Um, it, you just don't, you only have time for so many things. Um, yeah. that's one reason I really love animation, mm-hmm. uh, is because you can tell any story you want to, um, but you're not 
confined to, okay, I need six locations for this. I need yeah. a crew of 45 people in one weekend. I need, you know, all of these details to come together in one tight right. time window. Yeah. Um, so that's why I've been really enjoying uh, with animation is, you know, also with live action, I've said this before, but you're so constrained by budget because the bigger the idea or the crazier idea, you just can't do it. Like, yeah. um, you know, things like Brittle Bones Nikki or, or Milkman or like all those ideas, those are, they're hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, yeah. you know, you need a Taylor Swift budget to, and they take months to prepare exactly. um, versus you can accomplish the same thing and also looks really cool uh, with animation in way less time. Right. And so it also mentions like, I'm still on the LinkedIn thing. Because I, I found it kind of like, I know when I read it, I kind of like, I know date-wise, like where were you and like what, how yeah. it looked like. So the Joe Corelli thing, it's a gigantic name. Yeah. If you are in the music industry or if you know who, who, who Joe is, like I, I didn't know who Joe was at that time, but I was like, whatever, Joe Corelli, who, who that I didn't is. either. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, don't listen well, to that. Well, we were new, right? We <laughs> yeah. were, how, how would we know? We were, we were totally new to the world of music production. So it, if you try to imagine a band that just plays and, and, and works on their craft and they they manage to get someone like Joe or whoever, like a, a name for their debut, like a first studio album, like what would you say to them? Like what should they expect or what the process is like for someone who has never been in the studio, let alone with someone like Joe? Good question. Um... I think he just brought like a level of professionalism probably mm -hmm. that uh, we just didn't know at that point in time. I think we knew it a little bit because we did that one EP with the Lunas and I mm -hmm. think that Dean Marr was uh, really professional and comes from a similar time period of, of, of how we did things. Um, of course, everybody has their different ways of doing things and different processes. But um, yeah, I think Joe, um, yeah, he just really, he was such a hard worker uh, he just really like every single day. That was the one thing I really respect about Joe. Um, it didn't matter to us that we weren't or matter to him that we weren't Jack White or the Strokes. Yeah. Um, at least I never got the vibe that he was like mailing it in. And this is a brand new band. He was like, I'm here to make the best possible record that I can. Mm -hmm. um, and here's what I need to feel I need to do to make that happen. Um so I really appreciated that in him, and it almost to me uh, gave like us a little bit of confidence that we were like, hey, we're not this like, you know, junior small little tiny band that no one gives a shit about, which no one did, no one had even heard of us at the yeah. time, um, and he treated us kind of like like pros in a way, um, but that also at the same time I think that there were times where you could sense his a little bit of frustration in our yeah. our naivety or our wanting to do things away and he's just like no play this again no you're going to play this 20 more times until you get it right or you know the groove's not right there yet you get you really got to lock in on this you need to simplify that or um you know the tempo on this song just isn't feeling great i think that we need to speed it up a little or slow it down a little or we need a little ear candy here in this section like um, he just really had like obviously he he's he'd worked on so many records and and big songs mm -hmm. and um, yeah he he kind of made me like okay yeah this this makes sense to me now we need to be we should think about songs like this in a way that we probably hadn't up until that point right so it's like a big lesson like pretty much we or you've learned as a as a band leader and uh, 
<clears throat> and a producer that stands behind the Rare Americans, like a different approach towards the songwriting and thinking about the songs. Yeah, totally. So. And, and and just, you know, even like more nerdy stuff, like, uh, you know, I thought the way that he clearly had a plan from the beginning that like, okay, we were going to put acoustic guitars through tiny little old shitty amps yeah. because that creates a sound. Um, and he really like wanted to do that on most songs. He just, he had that kind of sound in mind. Mm -hmm. And that made me kind of be like, oh, okay, cool. There's there's really no rules to this. Anything yeah. can end up being cool, you know? Right. Well, I mean, spearheading from that point to nowadays and the future, there's an uh, article in uh, Vancouver Sun, I think, from 2018, saying that uh, Rare Americans is bringing a next-level marketing to the music industry, which you have kind of proven by being very engaged with your fans and social media coming up with riddles and just like really pushing it online what can fans expect for the fourth album like what is the if you can reveal some of that like what's the the marketing ideas like are you hmm. you know as, as someone who, who who works closely with you i know that the hard work is just like it's your fucking ammo like working hard is that that's what you do So pushing yourself or the band or team members or whatever in whatever level it's it's just natural to you. So what fans can expect to Oh good question. Um yeah if I, you can, I mean yeah, like Yeah, I don't even know if I have that uh fully uh fully realized at this time. I feel like the one thing with us is that um we've put out a lot of music um since we've been kind of independent and, and totally free to put out music. So um which I think I, I had this talk with you once uh, over email. It's it's different to like a big major label artist who's got almost their year planned out at mm -hmm. the start of the year. They know here's our singles, here's the rollout plan, here's the marketing plan. It's it's months and months in advance. Um, with us, so much of it has been like, we're not way ahead of things. It's mm -hmm. been like, okay, we're, we're putting this song out in this record out. Okay, we need to figure out... Uh, a marketing plan to release this song, what could we do? Okay, uh, we need to figure out, uh, pre-saves are obviously important now. We need to figure out a way that doesn't feel like total pain in the ass to our fans. Let's at least make this fun. Mm -hmm. um, so whether that's with a riddle or that's with you know giving something away that's interesting or whatever. Where do you get an inspiration for all that? It's just like... I, I think it's literally just... Uh, it's out of necessity. It's mm -hmm. out of the fact that we have to do it and we have to get it done. And if we want to actually have some success from it, we need a half decent idea. So it's it's like, okay, I, it's on my to-do list. It's like, there's no, if I don't get this done, it's going to be a failure. Right. So we just have to do it. So, okay, toss out an idea, toss it to the room, toss it to you guys. And then someone says, ah, yeah, that's cool. But what if we also tried this? Okay, that changes and alters the idea. Someone else adds something to it. And then, You know, we often kind of arrive at something. Um, and I think for for this year, um, you know, again, I don't know, getting into the more nitty gritty, our, our, it used to be that YouTube, our YouTube streams and our followers on YouTube dominated Spotify. Um, and I think that was due to the volume of the animated videos that we did. Uh, and then over... The course of the last kind of six months, um, YouTube's really kind of taken a hit and Spotify is really caught up. So mm -hmm. I was trying to think, okay, you know, how do we keep our channel looking fresh again or do something different? So 
that's when, um, you know, the idea of doing like the little kind of mini movie, uh, where instead of doing three music videos, uh, separately do them as one piece of content with a, a storyline and some dialogue even in the songs, um, and see if a longer form piece of content with a story would make YouTube's algorithm at the end of the day be like, okay, this is a good piece of content that we want to push to more people. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was the type of thing where it's like, okay, there's an idea. Let's try it. It's in the process now of being made, uh, and we'll see what happens. Um, but that's going to be, I think, a separate, that's its own little project, its own little mixtape. And uh, as I told you guys the other day, I definitely want uh, RA4 to be um, a feel-good, high-energy, um, uh, just a record that really motivates people. Because I know it's been a really hard two years for uh, for the whole world. Uh, and I think a lot of people are, you know... Uh, coming out of that now and uh, i think a lot of people are coming out of that as new people mm-hmm. or changed people in a way for what in in whatever way right. um so i feel like now just getting back to work getting back to traveling getting back to doing you know more of life as we did it before i just feel like a record that's really you know uplifting and almost like a you know a kick in the ass for people to be like all right now you know we're back you can you can accomplish what you want to accomplish too like take some chances take some risks believe in yourself um you know, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm ready to make a record like that, uh, as opposed to the last record I felt a lot more, it was during the pandemic pretty yep. much. And I felt a lot more, uh, introspective, I guess, about things or a lot more, um, not down. Cause I don't think down is the, is the right word at all. Just more, just more like, you know, confused mm-hmm. or trying to figure things out, trying asking myself questions about myself or trying to learn about myself more. Um, and now I feel like I'm, I'm I'm ready to to go for a run and uh, you know to continue the push and the climb and 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 I want some music that feels like it it gives me that extra edge to get up the hill kind of thing. Nice. Okay, so I think we do have a question, a, a time for one more question, maybe. Uh, like, yeah. What was yeah, your schedule? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We. Get, yeah. Let's do one or two. Uh, okay. Uh, so then, if if we were doing two questions, then uh, we're almost kind of like finishing the prep for the tour, the first US yeah. tour Rare Americans gonna have. So what what can fans expect from Rare Americans live show? Like what would you say like why would someone come to the show and see us play for the first time in the States? Like how how would you sell that to someone? I think it's just going to be like pure out pure raw energy. Like it's just going to be raw enthusiasm and uh we haven't ever done this before uh you know the last shows we played uh we were in the uk playing to almost nobody um you know so uh this is just going to be an experience that none of us i think have ever had in our lives so i can only imagine before the first show you know when you see it's a packed room and you're like okay it's it's game time uh i think there's something special in uh the spirit of, of just seeing that energy. Uh, it's not like we're, um, you know, I don't know anybody Coldplay who's played yeah. 500 shows in their career. Uh, and there's almost probably very few environments they would go into where they're not totally comfortable because yeah. they've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
So for us, I think this is just going to be like, hey, it's raw. <laughs> You're seeing us and <laughs> that we're going to lay it all on the line. We're going to do our best. We're probably going to make some mistakes. We're going to, you know, uh, there's going to be highs and lows and we're going to learn as we go. Hopefully we don't have technical difficulties. I don't know. But if we do, we got to roll with it. Um, we're just such a small team and we've all done this together. Right. Uh, so I think now for the first time and actually uh, having also the experience with um, actually connecting with people in person. It feels like, you know, we see all these online numbers and they seem insane. You know, we almost take it for granted. It's like, oh, we only had 250,000 streams yesterday or something. And it's just like, it becomes a number on a page. And you're like, well, why don't we have 500,000 a day? But it puts things into perspective when you're in a room with people now and you see these people and you see an impact that this music has had on them. Like all the bands that we listened to growing up had an impact on us. You know, now the tables have turned. And so to actually just share in that experience and see how music is, our music has, you know, helped people and just touched people in a mm. different way. Um, I think that that's going to be just a life altering experience. So I can't wait. And uh, I'm not going to be able to fake it. I'm probably going to have a smile on my face the, the mass majority of the time, just trying to enjoy the moment, you know? Yeah, it's like at, at the same time, you need to perform because like you need to perform. People are there to see you, but on the other hand, you also want to enjoy that, right? Oh, totally, yeah. <clears throat> so like yeah. how you blend the two worlds. To me, that's where I think like, that's where I'm such a big believer and this could be the, my kind of athlete's background. I really believe wholeheartedly in preparation because I think if you're super prepared uh, then it gives you a foundation that um, uh, at your highest or your lowest is going to be, there's going to be some range in between because you've practiced this lots of times. Um, you have a good idea. You're not, you're not forgetting words. You're not totally missing cues. You're not, it's just, you know, we're, we're tight because we practice and we, I think we can all take confidence in that. So when we get on the stage, it's not like we're like, a song ends and we're like, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys, uh, what do we do now? It's yeah. like, no, we know what we do, at least, you know, what we've practiced. Now we get to just really, you know, enjoy the moment and heighten the moment and and play off the crowd and figure these things out because we have like a solid foundation that we've prepared, at least. Right. I mean, like, if you can very briefly summarize what it takes to put together a tour, for independent band, I, I mean, it's it's oh, it's boy. very tough, but just like be like, okay, this is like five things you absolutely need to. Okay, so for of. us, I mean, step one, if I broke it down like that, step one was um, we had a booking agent, which made all the difference. Right, we booked the UK tour ourselves, which was atrocious. Um, so having um, a booking agent who booked all these great venues, set up the ticket links. Um, did all of that stuff and we just had to hand them the artwork and promote it on our pages with step one uh, and that was almost no work for us mm -hmm. which was awesome um, so that was great uh, step two I think was getting the word out there and um, I think we had no idea really uh, if we were going to sell like any <laughs> tickets I had no idea at least yeah. I, I didn't I had no idea what to expect and I remember we saw the first ticket count list come out and I was like, oh, we sold 50 tickets there and we sold 48 there and we sold shit only 20 there. But wow, we sold 70 here. Like, you know, this looks pretty good. We're going to have like 110 people coming out to these shows. Uh, and then all of a sudden as like a couple weeks went by and it's like, oh shit, like this show's like 70% sold out already. 
Uh, and I remember texting Jared and I was still like, I was like, ah, I was a little skeptical on, on a few of the places like San Francisco and Portland. They were quite a bit slower. And he texted me back. He's like, this is going to sell out. No problem. Hmm. And I was like, all right, cool. Uh, he's usually, <laughs> he's often right about things. So uh, sure enough, a uh, couple of weeks more went by and we're like, okay, these are sold out. And then next day it was like, this one's sold out. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then it was like, okay, holy shit, we need to put this thing together. We need a set list. We need, uh, you know, we need to, uh, you know, figure out the production, like lights, things like this, uh, all these, you know, little pieces that hadn't come together. You guys had to figure out what parts you're playing in the songs, uh, who's doing what, who's singing, who's not singing. Uh, so then I think it was like, you know, just sit in a rehearsal space for hours and hours and hours and figure these things out and, um, try to have some fun moments that we can engage with the crowd. That's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a show, it's supposed to be entertaining. So how do we entertain people? Um, so I think that we've spent probably the majority of our time trying to figure that, that out. Um, and then also, you know, this tour was bigger than the UK where we just use the sound guys from, uh, the venues. And mm-hmm. this was like, no, this is proper. We need to have a sound engineer. Uh, we need to have this stuff. So we sound good. Um, so then it was going on the hunt to try to find that person. Um, and, you know, having some, you know, just trying to pick people's brains and um, learn about this. And then obviously, Sean, who is recording this podcast right now, uh, kind of popped into my head from, I remembered from audio engineering school. And so hit him up and um, you know, I think, uh, he's been extremely helpful, uh, in putting this all together. Um, and so that's kind of on the production side of things. And then I think the, the my least favorite part by a country mile is the logistics, like figuring out a ban, a bus, uh, getting one quote that's ludicrously expensive, figuring out, is that even possible? Jan having to pretty much be, get a law degree to figure out how we can get visas to go into the country and him being stressed out about that. And you guys having to go for the extra meeting because you're, you're Slovak and, and you're not full Canadian citizens yet. And um, just the, the logistical element of getting a 10-person crew yeah. from Vancouver all throughout the entire United States uh, is a big undertaking. And we don't have anybody but ourselves to kind of help us navigate that for the most part. Um, so I'd say that that's been the most challenging part. And we're still, I mean... Uh, still figuring out a few things and we leave in, you know, and, you know, I guess by the time this airs, we're leaving in just a few days. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, been a lot for sure. Well, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a success and it just will go up from there. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'm, I'm sure. But okay, there's one last question. Okay. Imagine that you, you picked up guitar and you just suck. Like it, it's like you, you think it's, it's something, but you know, you, you get the feedback from people and, uh, not good. Like, don't sing. Uh, try something else. If let's say that you you got totally discouraged from music, James Priestner, thirty one years old. What are you doing right now? Ooh, good question. Um, well, I love like my favorite thing on earth is uh, creating something that never existed before. Um, that's just my favorite thing. That's why I think I like songwriting so much. That's why I like uh, production and I like um, Crooked City Studios, the animation company we've just launched. Um, you know, creating stories that never existed before, 
and then you create these things and you can put them out in the world and they can have an impact on people mm -hmm. or entertain people or whatever. Um, that's my favorite thing in the world. And I think I would always want to do that. So even if it was like, you know, clothing or anything, you know, uh, just in the creative industry where you get to create something that didn't exist and then get it to people. Um, I think I would naturally want to do that. Um, I really like, um, the creative process too. I'm the mm -hmm. type of person that I, I love being in a room for 10 straight hours and I don't get tired. Uh, I can very easily, if it's a studio session, go for 10 hours, have a quick sleep, come back the next day for another 10 hours. Cause I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, same thing with like writer's rooms and coming up with these stories. Um, I, I love cranking all day long going for it and I don't get fatigued by that. Um, versus like, I remember, uh, when I worked in sales, for example, um, you know, I just in the back of my mind, I, 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 I liked dealing with people and I liked, I, I didn't mind selling things. I, I think I had a natural personality for it. Um, but at the end of the day, I just always wanted my shift to be over. Uh, yeah. and I wanted to go and work on other stuff. And for me, it was songwriting. Um, so yeah, I, I even though I think I could be good at that, I don't think I would find fulfillment in that long term. I feel like to me, if you can find a, a job, it takes up so much of your life. So if you can find a job where it doesn't feel necessarily like a job, like you feel like you, en you enjoy doing this every day and it's not like, oh, I got to set my alarm for eight in the morning and I have to be there tomorrow. It's like, I think if, 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 if when, you, when you're in that position, then it's not something you probably truly love. Uh, and my, that just the unfortunate thing is there's, there's so many people, I think a good percentage of the population who feel that way. Um, but it's, it's hard to get out of that or it's hard to, you know, you went to school for a particular thing. And so you naturally go into that career path and you made that decision at age like 18 or 19. It's like, you probably, who knows what you want to do when you're 18 or 19. Um, mm. so I think it's almost okay now that people, can realize, hey, this isn't what I love to do every day. And if you have too many mornings where you're you're waking up being like, fuck, I don't want to, I don't want to go there. Then maybe it's time that you try to hunt and find something that you are naturally passionate about, or whether it's a different industry or whatever that mm -hmm. it doesn't doesn't necessarily feel like a a job to you. Uh, right. And I think once you find that, um, you know, it, again, it does take up a lot of time. So it's it's something that will make you. Uh, probably happier in all areas of your life. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I'm just really thankful at the end of the day that, um, you know, I stumbled into this, I guess. I, I think when I was 14 and I wanted to be a hockey player, uh, I had zero idea if I could look back at that kid uh, that this is what I would be doing right now. But uh, I sure am happy that this is how things uh, have kind of landed. And I'm thankful that we get to do this. Uh, and I'm thankful that there's people who um, care to listen to us and who look forward to things that we put out. Um, and I think that I, I don't take that for granted. And I think that's what makes me so hungry and eager to do better on the next one. Because uh, I feel like uh, I almost have like a responsibility now to to those people to yeah. um, to not just, you know, just lay a, a goose egg or something i yeah. i i want to i want to continually get better so awesome well i think uh 
I, I think uh, we're done with this one. Good questions, yeah. man. Well, I mean, I, I have to say, when we were like, <coughs> you're like, okay, I think I should interview you for the first one. I was like, all right, we're gonna see where this goes. Well, uh, I mean, but I, I thought that you're very thoughtful, uh, good question. So I now I look forward to. <laughs> I'm gonna. Hopefully, I can find some stuff in the in the dark web oh or something God. about Lubo Ivan. Don't, don't go on Pornhub. Or yeah, something. the legend of Lubo is gonna have to take some serious digging. Yeah. Uh, but uh, episode two for all uh, the new listeners, we're gonna get into Lubo's life story. Well, we're looking for that. All right. Well, thank you, Jamesy. Thank yeah. you for everybody listening. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon.